0: I love that song, You're a Good, Good Father. The chorus that we all just sang said, You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I love the lyrics. I love singing that. I love the meaning behind it. And yet, I wonder... How often in my life, maybe your life, maybe sometimes in the church, uh, there's a phrase that goes like this, familiarity breeds contempt. What that means is sometimes we become so familiar with a verse or a song or biblical truth, and maybe most of the time, unintentionally, we just become so familiar with this word Doctrine, truth, as wonderful as it is, we become so familiar that we become numb to it. It becomes kind of, uh, okay, ho-hum. And I thought of that because the chorus says you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, which was the other song we happened to sing, another one which we can become overly familiar with, if you're a believer, we've been talking about being saved by grace through faith in Jesus, if you have done that, then you're a child of God and you have this intimate relationship and your father is good, good and he loves you as you sit here. And how much does he love you? Perfectly, completely. In fact, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Or less. Because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so positionally, good, good father is loving his child because he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ at this very second. Let me put it to you another way. He's smiling at you. Do you believe it? Or I can ask it the other way. What's God's facial expression as he thinks about you right now? If I, if I ask you to draw a picture of God, do me an emoji. Let's bring it up to 2019. What's God's emoji? If I said, hey God, how do you feel about Randy? Emoji. Shoot it to me, God. Oh, you got the thumbs up. You got a thumbs up, Randy, over here. Right? What would God's emoji be if I asked, hey, God, what's your emoji about uh, Bill? What's your emoji about Ernie? <laughs> Why does everyone go, <laughs> when it comes to Ernie? I don't know about that, Ernie. I was like, oh, I don't know. Right? What do you think right now? What is God's emoji about you? Right now, how does he feel about you? Smiley face. Big heart. Is he smiling? Is it, does God like you right now? Okay, some of you are struggling with that right now. That is the weirdest thing, isn't it? Why are you struggling with that? If you're a believer, why are you struggling with saying God likes me? If you're a believer, does God like you right now? Is God pleased with you right now? Is He loving you as much as He could love you right now? You know why? Because he doesn't see your stuff of this week. He sees you clothed in Jesus' robe. He's relating to you on the basis of what we call grace. He's relating to you positionally. He's relating to you. He's loving you. He's actually liking you because you're standing in grace clothed in the righteousness of his Son. In some places, that would get an amen and an hallelujah and put some smiles on your face. (laughs) For the two of you that really got that, awesome. The rest of you are struggling with God liking you right now. Why are you struggling with that? Why are you struggling right now that good, good Father loves you as much as he can love you? He likes you. Emoji, double thumbs up, big smile, heart eyes. Maybe kissy faith. I don't know. But good, good father is very well in love and, and much pleased with you. How many of you remember when Jesus was baptized? What did, what, what did father say when he came out? This is my son in whom? And everyone goes, Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, well, Jesus got baptized and father said, This is my son in whom I will. Oh, he's pleased with him. Is he pleased with you? Now somebody, oh. Is father, good, good father, pleased with you as you sit here? On the basis of what? Jesus. Grace. He likes you. See, love is another, right? Uh, Jesus loves you. God loves you. That love word is very familiar, overly familiar. But when I said God likes you, okay, does God want to friend you? (laughs) Will God follow you on Instagram? Right? Uh, Whatever rocks your world to get you to emotionally connect with good, good father, liking you, loving you, smiling at you, whatever. Why is that so hard? And what difference would it make how you lived your life if you really believed that? What difference would it make in my life, your life, right now, before you even get up out of your chair? What difference would it make as you're sitting here if you truly accepted, received that biblical truth before you even get up? I played high school basketball. And in our senior year, we had a coach who had a coaching philosophy that went like this. If you mess up in the game, you're coming out. Right? I guess it was supposed to motivate us, what? Not to mess up. Do it his way. Do it well. Or if you don't do it well, or you make a mistake, or you don't do it according to his diagram, you're coming out. Kind of got it. We kind of tried to adopt this, okay, he wants excellence, he, perfection, right? His way. It had this reverse effect had this reverse effect. We, I was a junior and me and my buddies we, there was the seniors and, and we kind of it, it created this angst on the team. It was no longer a joy to it was no longer a joy to be on this team. No longer a joy. In fact, what would happen during practices is the starters, the the seniors, they would be us and we would be the opposing team, right? The play like we're the opposing team and run their place. We had such a kick Destroying the coach's plans and messing up the varsity just to get a rise out of him. To do something that would make the seniors do something wrong and just watch him yell at them. We would just love it because we're, we, we're just the opposing team, so we're free. And he's not telling us, we're just running around and we're doing stuff. And the seniors are so under bondage, they're so under the law, and they're trying to do this and not mess up. And we're just like, ah, ah, ah right? His coaching style created this bondage and this law that stifled any joy on that team. Any joy. We weren't playing to win anymore. We were playing not to mess up and get pulled out of the game. That's how crazy as it was. I remember one time, and I'm playing and you know, like there's we run plays and I get the ball and I shoot from the corner three pointer. I'm like, yeah, woo, right? And I'm running back. The next buzzer, I'm out. Cause I wasn't supposed to shoot. And I'm <laughs> you know, I went down the bench and so at the end of the bench, we're just all talking. Killed the joy, killed the freedom. And I think maybe a lot of us view God like that, coach. If you mess up, he's gonna pull you on the bench. So now, you're no, walking, you're no longer walking in newness of life. You're no longer enjoying the freedom in Christ. You're playing not to lose. You're playing not to mess up, or else good, good father is not going to like you, and he's going to sit you on the bench. And it's so it, it breaks my heart to see believers who aren't living in the joy and the freedom that God intends. Because we're under grace. We're under grace. And it's that word grace that is so familiar that we don't even understand it anymore. We don't understand. We turn grace into good effort. We turn grace into the law. We turn grace into the flesh. We turn, we turn it all up and down. Or we think that grace was only when we got saved But how many of us right now truly woke up this morning or truly are sitting here going, I'm only here by God's grace. I'm only breathing by God's grace. I'm only able to do anything for Him by His grace. And we're talking about this. We saw in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, right? Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And we looked at that. It's grace. We put our faith in Jesus. Faith has an object. We trust Jesus 100% like you're trusting your chairs. You rest fully in Jesus. You access God's grace. But here's the thing. Many of us, again, if you're raised in the church, we've, we, we put grace only at salvation. When there's actually three, what we call three tenses of salvation. Three tenses. And grace undergirds all of it, right? There's a the past tense, what we call the salvation. Salvation means what? Deliverance. Being rescued from something. Saved, right? Jesus. You shall name his name, Jesus, for he will what? Save them from their sins. Salvation, what we call past tense, means you're delivered from the penalty of sin. We're justified. to say justified. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you are delivered, you are saved from the penalty of sin. What it means to be justified, it's a legal declaration, legal, where God says, not guilty, fully righteous. Okay, in some places that would get an amen too, but I'm just going to let you marinate on this. You have been declared not guilty, fully righteous for eternity. Just saying. It's a legal declaration for eternity. Not guilty, fully righteous. That's just one-third of the salvation, though. Grace brings us also into present tense. Sanctification. You're delivered from the power of sin. Romans 6 says you are no longer a slave to sin. Which means you cannot say the devil made me do it. Biblically, Romans 6 says you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. We're going to look at that in the weeks ahead. What does that mean? How do I appropriate that? Present tense. Because of God's grace, you are delivered from the power of sin. How many of you like that? Woo! The flip side is everything now is a choice. Everything's a choice. It's not a sin to be tempted because Jesus was tempted yet without sin. When you're tempted and you choose God's way, what does it do? It just brings glory to him. That's the beauty of it. Every time we're walking and we come to these crossroads and I'm tempted to do the flesh or sin and I choose not to, I'm glorifying God. That's how we glorify God. Exercising our freedom now, no longer slaves to sin. Every time I exercise my freedom to honor and obey God, it glorifies Him. Okay? So we're delivered from the power of sin. Future tense, glorification. We're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. Surely. Come on now. Past, present, future. What undergirds it all? Grace. God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's past, we have peace with God present through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access, okay, that's present access to the throne of grace, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's future. It's all right there in that verse. I love this quote. Too many of us have thought the grace of God was equal to the forgiveness of God. No. The grace of God is far greater than simple synonym for the forgiveness of God. That does, not mean, that does not diminish the forgiveness of God, which is, of course, majestic and priceless. It is just the first taste we get of the grace of God. And we are to receive of the abundance of that grace. Ephesians 2.7 talks about the riches of God's grace. Grace. It's grace. And we're going to talk in the future because once you start to understand God's grace, especially justification, for instance, not guilty, fully righteous forever, people were listening to the Apostle Paul and like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on here, Paul. You're saying we're justified, saved by, we're, we're declared not guilty, fully righteous forever? Yeah, it's a legal declaration. Does that mean now we get to do whatever we want? No, he answers that in Romans 6.1. No! And we're going to talk about it. Grace is not a license to sin. It is not a license to sin. In fact, if someone wants to use the grace card as a license to sin, here's the truth. They don't understand grace. They're just trying to manipulate God's word for their own benefit. It's not grace. Right? So we're going to talk about that in the future. Grace is not a license to sin. In fact, if you and I appropriate sin and we understand that we're no longer slaves of sin, here's the radical thing that grace also does. It gives me a heart that doesn't want to sin. That's the thing, right? It's, a, it, it's for instance, when, I, when, when you get married, right? There's a heart change that says, oh gosh, think about this. I don't want to be single anymore. My heart has changed. I want to be in covenant with someone else. It's a heart change. You see, that, that, that's what grace does. That's what it means to be born again. Okay, that's a phrase. Another cliche phrase. Hey, are you born again? Are you a born-againer? Right? Like, are you a born-againer? When you are born again, there is a doctrine called regeneration. When you are born again, as a child of God, He gives you a new heart. And this new heart desires the things of God. Example. How many of you want to be here right now? Where does that even come from? How many of you at one point in your life, this wouldn't be, any you wouldn't even be near a church? Okay, so why are you here then? At one, at one point, you would surely be sleeping, hung over, trying to sleep it off. Watching whatever sports on right now you wouldn't even want to be here going to church would be the farthest thing No desire zero desire, maybe even animosity towards it, but you're here now Why and you want to amen you want aubrey you want to How was that? Grace and what did grace do it gave her a new heart It gave her a new heart With new desires Things that desire the things of God. So if you have a heart here and you're like, I desire the things of God. I am, You know what? I sin, but when I sin, I'm bummed. When I sin, I'm convicted. When I sin, I actually feel bad. You know what? That's grace. That's a good thing, guys. Not the sinning part, but the feeling bad part. Because God has put in you His, His new heart, His Holy Spirit, to convict you. So when you stray off the path... That conviction brings you back because he loves you. God disciplines those he loves. It's grace. It's grace. And yet many of us flipped it. Oh, messed up again. I guess I'm on God's JV. He doesn't like me anymore. He's mad at me. And we just get so bound up as believers. What are you doing following Jesus? Why are you doing that so I don't mess up? Want to come with me? (laughs) And we live following Jesus like this because we're so afraid of messing up. You just went right back to the law. That's what the book of Galatians was written. Have you begun in the spirit now gone back to the law? So we've got to understand grace, guys, because Romans 5 says we're standing in grace. We're standing in it, right? Go back to, put up Romans 5, one. Therefore, since we have justi- been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, what? In which we, what? Stand. If you're a believer, you're standing in grace. You're, you're in it, positionally. The question is, what are you doing with it? It's your choice. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He gave it to you to make a qualitative difference in your life. What are you doing? Don't just receive it. We talked about the credit card. Don't just receive it and put it in your back pocket and don't use it. He gave it to you for a purpose. Are you using it for that purpose? Right? Right? Romans 5.17 For if by the trespass of the one man he's talking about Adam an original sin death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. So there's a direct relationship there receiving and reigning. Receiving grace and righteousness and reigning. Right? Right? I shared with the guys this morning, I read some, it's very interesting. I like receive and reign. How about, there's a big difference between enduring and enjoying. How many of you are just enduring this Christian thing? Right? Did Jesus say, take up your cross, follow me, and endure? Right? If we don't understand grace, following Jesus is just an endurance. It's just a Spartan race. It's just a marathon. It's 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 the whatever the Hawaiian triathlon thing. It's just an endurance thing. And we're not enjoying it. Or maybe how about agony versus abundance? Is that what he intended? Cuz Jesus said, "I came to give you life and life abundantly." Well, how does that work? Well, we talked it's not the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. We talked about that last week. It goes back to grace. It's grace if we're going to follow Jesus in freedom that verse says go ahead put it back up Romans 5:17 it says that those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness that word receive means to take or grasp to lay hold of to seize to take possession of to appropriate to oneself okay if you want to reign in life if you want freedom, if you want joy to go out there on the court and just run and follow Jesus with joy and exuberance and all that He intends for you, that verse says you've got to take hold of something, and it's grace. You've got to seize it. You've got to make grace your own. You've got you to seize it. You've got to hold on. You're standing and you've got to hold on. And, and this morning, I want to use the Apostle Paul in his, as an example of someone who's just like us and had to make a decision about grace. The Apostle Paul. Last week we saw in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the what? Grace of God. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It's not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Real important, that phrase, by the grace of God, I am what I am, has been so twisted and so misused. And this is what I mean. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Always going to be a loser. Oh, I am what I am. I am what I am that what that is about? When he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, that was a shout of victory. He was proclaiming who he was in Christ at that very moment. By the grace of God, I am what I am. See, Paul was not in bondage to his past. Paul was choosing not to be identified by his past any longer. Grace set him free. By the grace of God, I am not what I was. I am what I am. By the grace of God, I was a persecutor. By the grace of God, I am a preacher. Go figure. Go figure. Bill and I were just talking in my office before we came over how absolutely crazy it is that Bill and I are talking in a pastor's office on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Right? I don't even know you, but you laugh, because it's probably, right? (laughs) It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. We laugh. We literally laugh. We're like, can you believe this? You and me, Bill. We're sitting in a senior pastor's office. And I'm a senior pastor. And you're an elder. at A church. (laughs) That's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. If you knew where I came from. If you knew... In my life, the times when it was all about me, and I wanted nothing to do with God, and everything was just for me, 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 please me, live for me, and everything was all about me, and I didn't give a rip what anyone thought about, let alone God. And all these years later, hey, Bill, I'm a senior pastor, and you're an elder. And he's even worse than me. Just kidding, I don't know what to do. But here's the crazy thing, guys. We all have stories in here. Oh, uh, yeah, it's getting real. It's getting real. Question. Are you defined by your past? How do you read that then? Is, that, is this a woe is me? I'm shackled to the past. I am what I am. Always going to be till I go see Jesus. Or do you read that as a victory by the grace of God? I know it's crazy, isn't it? That's why it's called grace. It is cray-cray. I am what I am. By the grace of God, by golly, I wanted to be here today. Don't minimize that. Don't you (laughs) dare minimize that. It is crazy. The fact that you want to be here and you're listening and you're in tune, that is the grace of God. Because there's some people in this room, but for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be on this planet anymore. And the Apostle Paul has to make a choice. He says this in First Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me trustworthy. Consider me trustworthy, appointing me to His service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Amen? along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, that everything, faith, it all is from him. It all is from him. So let's look a little bit about at Paul's past, because we all have a past, and a lot of us are shackled to it. Let's look at Apostle Paul. Let's, let's, let's peel back the veneer and, and see what this guy really was, this guy who wrote a whole lot of the New Testament, right? Acts 1-3 and Acts 7... Stephen is stoned to death. He's the first martyr. He's martyred for his faith, right? Stephen. In Acts 8, we read this. Paul was named Saul before he met Jesus. So this is Saul. And Saul, who was the apostle Paul, approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is Acts 22. Here's Paul describing himself. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify i even obtained letters from them to their associates in damascus and went there to bring these people these christians as prisoners to jerusalem to be punished acts 22:19 lord i replied these people know that i went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you this is paul And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Acts 26, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. There's a man with a history. That's the Apostle Paul. That's the Apostle Paul. But in 1 Corinthians he's 15, he makes a victorious statement. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Wow. I have read that, and I have looked at the reality of what he was trying to say in those verses. This was a brutal man. If you were to look at what the, he was brutal. And he was brutal to the church. The followers of Jesus, putting them in prison, torturing them, beating them, approving of their death. This man had a history. This man had a past. This man had baggage. And then something happens. If you're familiar with it, Acts 9. Acts 9 happens. And in Acts 9, who does he meet? Jesus. Jesus. Right? Acts 9, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He meets Jesus. He's actually on his way to go persecute the church more. On his way, he has a supernatural encounter with Jesus. Who are you? I'm Jesus. Who you're persecuting. Translated, Paul, you've been wrong this whole time. You're absolutely convinced you're actually serving God. But Paul, i got to tell you, You're 100% wrong. And Paul has this supernatural conversion experience. He meets Jesus. Acts 9.20 says immediately he began to preach Jesus in the synagogues, that he is indeed the Son of God. Right? So this persecutor of this church, this man dead set on destroying the church, who imprisoned believers, tortured believers, killed believers, meets Jesus. Meets Jesus. Has a conversion experience. Starts preaching. Question. How do you think the church responded to him? Because, see, this summer we learned to love one another, forgive one another, accept one another. What do you think happened the first time Paul showed up at the well? Ah. Got real, real quick, didn't it? Because that happened. In fact, in, in, in Acts 9, right after the exper- uh, his conversion, the Lord appears to Ananias and says, Hey, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul. He, I just met him. He's my chosen instrument. Go there and lay hands on him. And Ananias is like, Are you cray-cray? I'm not going there. He's, he, he's come here on a mission. And the Lord says to Ananias, It's okay. He's my chosen instrument. Go. The early church was fearful. They didn't believe. They did not believe that this was legit. They did not believe, right? I love this in um, in Acts 9.26. He says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. If you're honest, how many of you would probably be in that camp? Somebody in Ohio with this horrible reputation... Totally antagonistic to the church. Persecuting the church. Gets saved. Walks through that door. How would you respond? A little hesitant. A little suspicious. Disbelief. Right? It says in Acts 9 that, that he was preaching. People were they astonished. Amazing. the were literally beside themselves. They're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Two days ago, that guy, and now he's preaching Jesus in the synagogues? They were beside themselves. People were, were, were amazed. People were scared. People were in disbelief. And it's crazy. In Galatians 1.18, it actually says that people actually praise God too. Galatians 1.24, right? It says, he went there and he says, and they praised God because of me. The testimony, so powerful, Right? question how is Paul going to deal how is Paul going to deal with people's reactions to him in the church and elsewhere having become a believer how is he going to deal with his past when he showed up at church think about that think about Paul showing up at church And someone not being very happy at all because Paul was responsible for their mother being in prison. Hey, hey dude, isn't that, that's that guy Saul. No, he's Paul, but no, I know, but he's Saul. He's responsible for killing my brother. And my cousin, he he dragged him, he, he, don't forget, this was real time. This was real time. And the church was confronted with having to accept the validity of Paul's conversion and accept him as a brother in Christ that fast. But how did Paul deal with his past? How was Paul able to be freed from all the guilt and shame and regret that he must be carrying now. Amen? We all do, now that we're spiritually alive, now that we see biblical truth, now that we process things through God's eyes. How many of you ever have had that moment where you're like, are you kidding me? I can't believe I did that. How many of you have, don't raise your hand, how many of you have seasons of your life before Jesus you'd rather not remember? And you, would, you wouldn't mind if no one ever brought it up again either. How do we break free of that? How do we just move forward with Jesus in grace? How do we just be free? No longer trying to earn our way back into God's graces. How do we live in freedom? How was Paul able to do that? Because he's the one that said, remember Romans was written by Paul, right? Romans 5.17 says, We reign in life if we receive. God's grace. I think many of us in the church are still shackled to our past, still want to always bring our baggage with us forward, live under the law, don't experience grace. You know why? Maybe we haven't received it. Because we saw biblical faith is not just a knowledge, not just agreeing, it's trust. Maybe some of us more specifically haven't trusted God's grace for who you are today. Do you trust how God sees you? Because if you really trusted how God sees you as you sit here, you're going to do this. Right? You're going to start doing this. If you really trust how God sees you, how God sees you. Look at John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him Receive Jesus. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does it mean to receive grace? What does it mean to receive Jesus? Believe. Trust. Some of us are struggling with our past because we're struggling with trusting God in his grace today. He's like, don't you trust me? I told you you're forgiven. I told you I I remember your sins no more. I told you you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I told you you're a new creation. Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Do you trust God for who you are right now? Do you trust God for who you are right now? There's freedom in that. There's freedom. And here's the thing. It's freedom even from man's approval or disapproval in the church. See, if you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus... You have nothing to prove to anybody in this church i'm not'm not I'm not, the, I'm not the coach waiting to put you on the bench if you mess up I'm to accept you biblically I'm to accept you we're to accept one another as we have been accepted by Christ how we have we been accepted by Christ by grace through faith <sighs> this has been very challenging for me because I grew up very Performance, merit, demerit, no free lunch mentality. Independent, self-sufficient. Sit on the bench if you mess up. I grew up that way and I was successful that way. And unfortunately, that ingrained in me deeply when I became a believer that I still had to prove myself to Jesus. See, I told you before, if I give you a gift, and Lois now thinks that she has to repay me, and do something for me, she just messed up the gift. It's no longer a gift. Now it's an obligation. She just messed up the gift. It's no longer a gift. The minute you try to repay something or try to prove something, it wasn't if it, you, you change it. It was meant to be a gift. an obligation and a duty. Paul's freedom to simply receive the gift. I can't explain it. I can't even prove that to you that I earned this and I should even keep it. All I know is a gift. All I know is I just was given this gift and I just said thank you. And because of this gift, all I can tell you based on the Word of God is who I am today. It's unexplainable. The only reason we can even know what this is all about is this. So when someone says, You mean you're free from your past? You mean by the grace of God, you're a child of God, you're a new creation, you're free from slavery to sin? How do you know? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. You want to be free from your sin? The past? Bondage to the past? You want to just enjoy the gift of God's grace? Stand on the Word of God. Because this is where we figure it all out. This is where God has revealed His perfect will despite what people even in the church say. Because people in the church can be kind of mean. Not to mention the devil, who is the accuser. Just when you start to make progress, how many of you have ever had someone throw something in your past right at you? So what do you say now? By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what I love about the Apostle Paul? He didn't hide his past. He didn't shy away from it. He acknowledged his past as a springboard to the future. You see? He acknowledged who he was before Jesus as a testimony to God's grace for the gospel. A lot of times we got it twisted in the church where where we live in shame and guilt and we don't want to share what we did because it was so bad. I get that, except for the fact that when you share that, it's a testimony to others who need to know that God still loves them. Because there might be someone in this room who thinks you are beyond God's grace. And the truth this morning is, nobody is beyond God's grace. Nobody is beyond God's grace. And if you're like, well, what do you mean? Okay, let's look. Should we review the Apostle Paul again? If there's somebody on the planet that would have probably been considered on the beyond God's grace, it would have been him. But God's grace extended to him you're in this room today, I want you to know based on the authority of scripture, you are not beyond God's grace. And if you're a believer here this morning on the authority of scripture, you can say by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am no longer defined by my past. Sure, I I, I have regret. Sure, I feel bad about what but it doesn't define me. Scripture defines me. My Father defines me. The grace of God defines me. Today, right now. Right now. I can go have lunch at Cafe Emporium with a brand new outlook on life. Because I'm free. I am free. I am no longer defined by who I was before Jesus. Amen? You've got to be free, church. Church. You got to be free. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. I am. I am. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? Whew. Stay there. Receive it. He says receive it. Those who receive will reign. Those who receive will reign. Receive God's truth, His grace, for who you are, right this second, as His child. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Wow. By Your grace, we are who we are. And Lord, I thank You That through the Apostle Paul, you have just demonstrated the infinite abundance and riches of your grace. There is nobody in this room beyond your reach, beyond your grace. The Apostle Paul persecuted, set out to destroy, imprisoned, beat, killed Christians. And yet, he responded to your grace, your unmerited favor. And you changed him supernaturally from a persecutor to a preacher. And you're still doing that today. Lord, my prayer for somebody in this room who for whatever reason thought that they were unforgivable, thought they were beyond reach, thought they had too much baggage, they had done too many bad things, that this morning they would simply receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Just receive it. You can earn it. You can't pay them back. All you do is receive it by faith in Jesus. By faith in Jesus, just like the Apostle Paul. And then, Lord, I pray for Christians who have been shackled, bound, just burdened by their past. Christians that need this moment to receive, to trust the grace of God for who they are as they sit here. Trust. Receive. You are a new creation. You are a child of God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God likes you. You can live in freedom. You don't have to live under the, 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 the constant fear of messing up, the constant fear of being benched. You can experience that childlike faith that Jesus said. The freedom... Freedom to call God Abba. And to know that your Father really loves you. He chose you. He's smiling. He looks upon you favorably because you're His child. You're His child. And you can come to the throne of grace anytime. You don't need to ask permission, just show up because you're His child. So, Father, this morning set us free. Let us free from regret and guilt and shame. And may we take hold of, may we grasp, may we seize grace for who we are today. May we just hold on to make it our own. Make it our own. I am a child of God. Saved by the grace of God. I am who I am. Right now. And so, Lord, In this moment, in this song that we sing, we sing it as a declaration of your amazing grace. We sing it as a declaration that I am free. I am free because of your amazing grace. Let's stand and let's sing this song together.